Who are they? How did they get here and where are they now? I'm Tyson Chastain, Director of Alumni Relations with Johnson University, and this is the Sojourner Podcast. Journal Podcast is a production of the Alumni Relations Office at Johnson University and is brought to you by the Alumni Association. Whether you graduated from Central Florida Bible College, Johnson Bible College, Florida Christian College, or Johnson University, you are a part of the alumni family. Join the Alumni Association and help encourage and equip alumni and students as they pursue kingdom-focused vocations. Learn more at johnsonu.edu forward slash alumni. Today, we're joined in the Sojournal podcast by Jason Yates, a 2004 graduate of Johnson University in Knoxville, Tennessee. Jason, welcome to the Sojournal podcast. Hey, good to be here. Thank you so much for joining me today, Jason. Uh, I know this is kind of unusual. We're doing this podcast as I'm traveling and we both have tight schedules, but hey, we're going to try and make it work. So uh, I appreciate you making the time. As we get started, would you mind just giving a general introduction of yourself to those in the audience who do not know Jason Yates? Sure. So I am married to Tess, uh, who also is an alumni of uh, Johnson. She's the class of 05. And we have four kids, ranging from a 16 all the way down to a three-year-old. Three boys, one girl. And currently, I am the pastor at East 10th Street Christian Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, a small little town in eastern North Carolina. Perfect. So, 16-year-old, that's got to be an interesting dynamic in your family right now. Yes. um, If you'd like him, we'll let him drive out to Knoxville, and he could stay for the last few years if you'd like. Um, (laughs) We. That'd be fine with us, but no, I'm just kidding. It's uh, it is a quite a journey to have the span in ages, but it is it's what the Lord wanted for us, and so we we're gonna keep, you know, we don't have any other options. We're gonna do we're gonna keep doing what we're doing. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well said. Okay. So as we get into this, Jason, tell me a little bit about your childhood. Where did you grow up? Yeah, so I uh, grew up in Roanoke, Virginia, and grew up Roman Catholic. So grew up going to Mass every Sunday. Uh, that was just what we did. So in terms of like a religious upbringing, I just I always had a consciousness of God and Jesus, the cross. Um, but it was very formal, very high church, as you might imagine, and really didn't have much connection with God in any type of relational sense. And it wasn't until a friend invited me to a vacation Bible school at a local Christian church there in Roanoke, Virginia, that I would say that I really found Jesus or that he found me, uh, especially through the teaching of the Bible, expositionally, expositorily, whatever word you want to use there. Um, and that really was a game changer for me. And that, that happened in my when I was in high school, uh, where I came in contact with this Christian church. So you might want to know more about all of that, but that's kind of the short version of my childhood. I grew up in Roanoke, Virginia, Roman Catholic, and two-parent home, and two younger brothers. So Roman Catholic from the very beginning, as in from birth? Yeah, yeah. So grew up, baptized, uh, baptized, that maybe a better word is, you know, sprinkled as an infant. And then actually the church we were at had a confirmation that was later than most uh, Catholic churches in our region. Uh, And so by the time 
um, I got to the point where I was going to be confirmed. Uh, I had decided that I was going to leave uh, the Roman Catholic tradition. And that caused a lot of tension in our house at, at that time. I think probably because I was leaving the Catholic faith like that. That was definitely a big one. But also uh-huh. I was a teenager who knew everything. So I was, <laughs> you know, I was a I was a jerk. And so that didn't help along the way either. You know how how all of it panned out just in terms of, you know, the way I presented it, the way I reacted to their reaction. You know, I could wish I could have gone back and done it all different. But, you know, I was a teenager and now I got one myself. So. Right. I understand. Well, maybe you learn from such things, I guess. That's right. So how did your parents respond or and, and your siblings as well? You said you have two brothers. My my middle brother, who's three years younger than me, he just caught a lot of the a lot of the arguments. That is, he just was there. He, he kind of was present in the home as so much of our family's energy revolved around this conflict between me and religion and leaving the Catholic faith and me thinking I had everything right. And I knew everything about everything. And I obviously had this God thing worked out. Like, you know, most of what was happening in the home revolved around me. And so my middle brother kind of just got, was kind of at the margins for all that. And then my, my youngest brother is seven years younger. And so he would have been eight, nine years old as all this is transpiring. And so he really wasn't very conscious of, what was happening, just knew there was a lot of tension, definitely not necessarily the content of what some of these debates were. That, that really, I think, really kind of the outlines of what was, what was happening in those high school years as I was leaving the Catholic faith, and there was just a lot of tension. And part of, part of probably should enter here is um, the church we were at had a, a large group of us had decided Early on, as our youth group was growing, this church was about 200, 250. I mean, it wasn't a large church at all. And um, the youth minister there, his name's Bob Paddock, and he was a part-time mechanic. And he turned his life around uh, when his oldest daughter was about 10 and got involved in the church. And he was doing part-time youth ministry. Our youth group was exploding. And I think it ended up that like maybe 12, 13, 14, it was this massive group of us came to Johnson in 2000 after graduation. Uh, I think 11 of us ultimately graduated together. And I think most of us married each other. Uh, I married the youth minister's daughter. Like I married Bob's (laughs) daughter, Um, Jason and Stephanie married, Kelly and Seth married. I mean, it was just this whole group of us. We just, we all got married to one another and then had lots of kids. And so that's kind of, that speeds us up to present. We all have lots of kids and we're all, a lot of us are in ministry. Uh, Brian Chadwick was part of that group. Um, I could go name, I guess, all of them. But so like Johnson was a big part of the fight too between my parents because I was going to Johnson and, and, and did go to Johnson. And they said that I had to have a counseling degree uh, because they didn't think preachers made anything. And so they wanted me to have a fallback. Uh, and then I was there for a year and decided I wasn't going home. I was going to work on campus during the summer. And I got to hang out with two really cool guys, uh, Phil Zook and Ron Williams, working HVAC during the summer. Really, my whole time at Johnson, that's what I did is I worked with those guys, uh, working HVAC. And I paid my way. Tess and I got married early at Johnson, which probably still happens at Johnson. Like, that's not a that's not an uncommon thing at Johnson, I don't think. But Johnson was a part of that that big argument in my home because you know they wanted me to go elsewhere. I don't know exactly where they wanted me to go, but they had bigger dreams for me than being a preacher. And ultimately, I, I guess I 
I did just fine. And, and my parents and I, uh, just so, I mean, people listening, um, a lot of healing has happened over the last 20 years. Uh, Tessa and I will celebrate 20 years of marriage uh, right, coming up in July. And so my parents and I have just, um, yeah, we've really connected over the years. My mom listens to our church service. I mean, they're still Catholic. They go to mass, but my mom listens to my sermons every Sunday. Every time they get down here, they stay so they can go to church on Sunday. Uh, so there've been a lot of healing, uh, over these last 20 years. Uh, and it didn't take 20 years. I mean, it was not long after Tessa and I got married and started having kids that just a lot of healing between my parents and, and me and, and all that happened, you know, during my high school years. I sort of imagine that, um, once your parents saw that, you know, Johnson wasn't taking you off on some crazy tangent, maybe that they a little bit better about it? So when they visited Johnson's campus, they felt better about it being a legitimate place. In terms of my career trajectory, oh, okay. I don't know that they ever felt comfortable with that until we, until ultimately, you know, we got some years down the road. And my story doesn't, doesn't go from Johnson to ministry. It, it's a, it's a bit of a, bit of an odd path from Johnson to where I am now. So I know we'll probably jump into that. Uh, but in terms of them seeing Johnson as a legitimate place, yeah. So Brown Hall was just being completed. So I think I was the first class to actually live in the new Brown Hall uh, that they had just built. And so that was that was a big deal for my parents to see and visit the other facilities. And I know a lot has been added since I was there. But, you know, the facilities looked nice. Uh, the campus was beautiful. Yeah, all of that brought credibility to the institution. I just don't think it, it didn't bring credibility to the career on the other side of the institution. Good. So Bob Paddock was your influencer. Was there somebody else like in the youth group that invited you to the church? Yeah. So Seth Bryant and I were working at Kroger together in Roanoke and he was a cashier and, and I was just coming on board and start as a bag boy, you know, move up to cashier and Seth, just everybody loves Seth. Everybody still loves Seth. Like <laughs> we, we always joke. Seth is like, Seth is the famous one. Uh, not to take away from Jesus is all in jest. Um, but like just Seth has got that magnetic personality and he and I really hit it off and we hung out. And at that point I really didn't care about God, forget the Catholic stuff. Like I just didn't care about God. And, and he just had a way of of bringing people into his orbit and influencing those we worked with. And some upperclassmen really thought he was cool. And what, there was this one moment where they invited him to go to an R-rated movie, and, and he just wasn't into that. And I, not to speak of where Seth is right now with R-rated movies, I'm saying in high school, where he currently was. And and I asked him after they these upperclassmen left, uh, and he didn't join them. I said, What are like, why didn't you go? Like these are these are the cool people. And he said, Man. I'm in love with God. And I remember like vividly thinking, like I know where I was when he said it and what I thought. I thought two things simultaneously. I thought that is the cheesiest thing I have ever heard. Like, <laughs> are you kidding me? What a cop out. But simultaneously, I thought, I want that. Like whatever you just said, however you got there, I want that. And then he invited me to their vacation Bible school and Edgewood Christian Church there in Roanoke had a a high school section of their VBS. And the preacher, Larry Atkin there, was teaching. The night I came, he was teaching out of the book of Hebrews. And I remember sitting there going, I've never heard anyone teach the Bible like this. And from that point on, I was hooked. And I 
dived into apologetics, like why believe in this God, and ultimately came to the conclusion, yes, there's a God. Yes, the Bible is the written word of God. Yes, Jesus died for my sins. Uh, eventually was immersed soon after that, some months after that, uh, and then just kept on that track, uh, hanging out with this youth group. And we would study the Bible together. I mean, we're just Bible nerds. It was an eclectic group. And then we landed at Johnson. Bob ended up coming to Johnson later, didn't he? Yeah, and I can't remember what year. So it might have been 05 or 06. Maybe it was 05 because we were still living on campus. And yeah, so he had gone through a difficult time with his former wife and, and ultimately decided to leave the mechanical profession, you know, doing work as a mechanic and and came to Johnson. And so we got to kind of be real close to him for about a year. I think that's what it was. Again, it, it, it kind of meshes, kind of melds together in my mind. But yeah, he came to Johnson right. and got his four-year degree and and continued to uh, work with the church that he was already working with part-time and has just thrived, uh, just thrived um, where he's at. And, you know, obviously he's my father-in-law. Like, I mean, we talk regularly, we talk ministry regularly, we talk family regularly. Um, yeah, I can't imagine my life without Bob. Yeah, I can't either. He's, he's a pretty amazing guy. <laughs> So when you were in high school and you said, you know, you started, you started studying this thing and you got into some apologetics and all of that stuff. Were you like a, a studious person or were you an academic? I was not an academic. Like I didn't read. I didn't really care about studying much of anything until I came to Christ. Like this, this moment where I hit this preacher teaching out of Hebrews in this, you know, at this VBS and then this this journey of exploring uh, you know, why why believe in any number of things. And, and then I, I mean, I was digging deep in the restoration movement uh, at the same time. Like, what is this Christian church thing? Uh, so I'm digging into Alexander Campbell, Thomas Campbell. Uh, I, I'm Barton Stone. I, I'm on, I'm into all these guys. Like, I mean, I'm this weirdo. And I've often thought that, like, I've often wondered, like, was this this like Holy Spirit thing? Because I, I wasn't a studious person. I mean, I'd, I made A's like school was not hard for me, but I just went to a new level in terms of desire and interest once I hit Jesus. Uh, and that really has never abated. That's never gone away uh, since that mm. day. Wow. So school was natural to you. Yes. Yeah. School always has been. I mean, not I mean, pre-Jesus, post-Jesus. But in terms of my my desire and my uh, drive like those things really increased post Jesus. And and not that high school became something I really got excited about. I'm talking about my pursuit of scripture and theology and uh anything that could be anything that would it was it within the the worldview realm became something that was of interest to me. Wow. Okay, so when it came time for you to start exploring colleges was Johnson just the easy, natural, because it fit in with all of your friends, your Christian friends, or were you ever considering any place else? No, I never considered anything else. My parents wanted me to, but I didn't. Like, Johnson was it. And for me, so on the credibility side on my end, like, Johnson had been around for over 100 years. Edgewood had, you know, by way of being part of a local church, you, you knew of people that had been to Johnson years prior. Like, there's this pedigree this line of success that, you know, was on display 
you know, in terms of just being in the network, you, you kind of got connected to the network and you knew people who graduated from there. And it's like, yeah, this is a real deal. Like, and they're accredited. So that was never a concern. I mean, if there was anything that would have been a concern, it would have been accreditation for me. But it had accreditation. It had financial aid. There were resources. You know, it kind of was the whole package for what I would have looked for wanting to go into ministry. And then you had, you know, you had everybody else jumping in the, on the bandwagon. It was like, yeah, this is what we're doing. So was Johnson still offering those scholarships where if more than one person came from the same church, the funds just multiplied? <laughs> I think, I think so. I think so. And the church we came from, so the Edgewood took it really seriously. And I want to say they gave upwards of 2500 a year, maybe a semester. I mean, it was a big amount. And this was not a small church. Like this church just rallied around us to give us financial support. And that preacher there actually taught Seth and Jason, maybe Brian Chadwick, uh, Josh Purdy, who also went, was in our class. I think there were five or six of us. Uh, he taught us a homiletics class while we were in high school. And we all preached our first sermons on, a, on the Sunday night service. Uh, so just this church just really rallied around us, Timothy's, um, and, and, but also provided a financial aid to the women as well. I think some of them did counseling. I know Tess did, uh, teacher education. So yeah, a lot of support. Johnson provided a lot of support. The work study program was a big deal for us too. All of that was really helpful for us. Cool. Okay. So Johnson is the focus then. Were you and Tess already an item before you came? No, and that's just a really drawn out story. But short story is, remember, I was a jerk. You just got to always keep this in mind. I was a jerk. So I didn't come to my senses for about a year. But Tess and I ultimately become a couple by the time she arrives. So she's one year behind me. So when she shows up, we are a couple. Uh, we get engaged the middle of her freshman year. We get married. We get married the summer after her freshman year. So that's 2002. And then we go into married living housing and finish off, you know, obviously she finishes off her three and then her extra student teaching masters, you know, fifth year. And then I finish off my two and uh, begin commuting to Emmanuel School of Religion, which I know is Emmanuel Christian Seminary, part of now Milligan University. I will get it all right. Uh, but we stay on campus through 2005. So um, I want to know a little bit about your experience at Johnson as a student, you know, socially, uh, academically, spiritually. But um, I'm also thinking more specifically about the work-study program, program because you said you worked with Ron Wheeler and Phil Zook. Ron we Williams. Yeah, yeah. Ron Williams yeah. and yeah. Phil Zook, right. And I know those two guys as excellent mentors, so I'm just curious as to what role they played in sort of your development as well. So why don't you talk through that transitional journey for you at Johnson? Yeah, and then also include kind of how I began to get into working as a youth minister. So like getting involved in vocational ministry is part of that story as well. So when we show up at Johnson, this group of us, uh, this big group of us decide, let's go bless a small church um, because we came from a small church and we're really active in a small church. So let's go bless a small church. Let's not go to one of these big churches. Let's not go be trendy. Let's just go find a small church and bless them. Well, it so happens that, you know, Johnson, the Knoxville campus, Johnson's Knoxville campus is 
uh, has a little small white building church about a mile off of campus and it's called Gap Creek Christian Church. And so we just, we landed there and I'll never forget. We like, there were like 10 of us. I don't know how I many, there was just a big group of us. We show up and Phil Zook, who's also the preacher there, part-time preacher there at the time. I mean, it was like Christmas. I mean, they're so excited because they're used to students showing up for worship. And like, it's, that's the rhythm of Gap Creek. Any, probably any of these churches right around Johnson, at least the Knoxville campuses, there's a rhythm for at least student involvement. And so, I mean, they, they bring us on the fellowship hall. Phil, I think did an impromptu Sunday school lesson. I mean, like they just didn't know what to do with us. And, and so we stayed, like we stayed so that like, we never, like some of us, like when I say us, some of the others uh, locked in with some other churches, but the core of us stayed at Gap Creek our whole time at Johnson. And it was just a wonderful church family for us. Um, And there's a lot there. But so I also get locked into HVAC. Well, Phil's preaching. I'm starting as a freshman and Phil Zook is working in HVAC. And Phil Zook is a jack of every trade, can do anything. And so here's a man who knows a lot mechanically and also knows God's word. Guys have been married a long time, raised kids, had a lot of life experience. And Ron Williams is very much the same thing. And those two kind of hooked up and they're working HVAC together. And those guys, they just, they don't take any crap. They expect you to show up on time, work hard. They're going to give you life advice uh, when you need life advice. And that that's kind of what I came under. I don't know. I'm still not good mechanically. Like I know enough HVAC after four years to really do damage. Uh, and that's just the way it is. My mind doesn't work like their mind. But they were steady. They loved their wives. They loved their families. And I watched them do this. I watched them do it during the day and I watched them do it at church. Uh, And it was just so cool to see guys who were not uh, highly educated. Now, Phil had a four year degree. But when I say I mean, they weren't they weren't carrying PhDs. But these guys, they they cared about God's word. They prayed and they would ask you really hard questions when you needed hard questions asked. And so like when I decided we were going to get married, like I thought we could get married so early. The first two people I went to were Ron and Phil and they had reservations, but they also said, okay, well, you've laid it out. I think you can do it, but it's going to be hard. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm real stubborn. Like I had all the answers. And so I, you know, moved forward with it. And Tess really grew close with the Williams family because when she got mono in her freshman year, she went and lived with Ron and Karen to finish out the semester. So they were just a huge blessing. Well, so after my first year, not Tess isn't there yet, I stayed for the summer. I mean, I'm working all the time with Ron and Phil, and they're putting me on the heart, like the job, any job they didn't want to do, and they wouldn't do any job. They put me in it. They put me in insulation. They put me in attics. They had me tearing apart heat pumps. I mean, they, they had me doing everything. They had me painting pipes <laughs> everywhere. But here's the thing. So like, I also was stayed involved at Gap Creek. Well, the lady who was doing the youth ministry there, she, she stopped doing the youth ministry. They didn't leave the church, but she just stopped doing the youth ministry. And they asked me to be the part-time youth minister. And it was after I had been involved with their VBS that summer, and it stuck. Uh, long story short, I was at Gap Creek for nine years as the youth minister. Tess and I and our family were there for 14 years until we moved out of Knoxville. So Gap Creek was just you know, a significant part of, of our family. And so work study was key for just growing, like making me grow up, like do things I don't want to do, being comfortable, like literally, like, I mean, physically be uncomfortable because 
you know, it's not fun being in insulation, but you better learn how to do it. And now I get to pass that on to my kids. Like literally my teenagers are doing a job outside right now. They don't want to do. And I've had to go back out there and tell them they've not done a good job at least twice. And you got to keep doing it until it's done right. But like that's Ron and Phil gave me that. Uh, my dad gave me that. But then like Ron and Phil came and gave it to me like with intensity. And I, I am forever grateful for them for that. So in terms of like my experience at Johnson spiritually, uh, we'll go there and then I'll say something academically. But spiritually, I think the thing that has stayed with me for all these years are the kind of professors I got to sit with. You know, I, I, these are pro- I feel like these are like the heroes of faith, like th- these big giants of, of faith here. But like Bob Martin, you had Doc Reese. Now, I know you still got Jody there. And I, I was coming in just as Jody was. So, um, you know, we kind of b- became friends, you know, along the way. But you, you had you had some of these guys, you know, you had Dr. In your you, you had some guys that were just they were just faithful. They walked with God. And so the thing I take away from from my experience spiritually with these guys is I want to walk with God like Bob Martin walked with God. Like I still I still Mm. think about this like this. His example still sits with me. And there were other professors that I had as well. But I mean, just picking off the ones that come right off the top of my head. And, you know, I want to pray. I want to pray like Doc Reese prayed. Like I want to be able to talk with God in that kind of conversational tone that relationship where you are just always in conversation with the Lord. And, and so it was really important for me. Now, on the academic side, and this is not to say anything against them spiritually, I just feel like they, this category kind of, that category flows. Doc Reese was academically strong and pushed me. And I'll say something about that here in just a second, but like Bob Martin academically would challenge me. So all of them challenged, but in terms yeah. of just, man, that's my, my, what I would walk away with. And, you know, the chapels were good. Like, this isn't the same thing against the chapels, the worship service. But, like, man, you give me a book or you give me a worship service, I'm going with the book every day of the week. Like, I just – worship services aren't that for me. Or give me a lecture uh, or a strong sermon. So, like, chapel for me wasn't that thing. uh, But, like, being in the classroom with some of these uh, men and some women, like, these were just – this was really influential. Like, they, they really molded me. The uh, academically, like Tommy Smith, really uh, his worldview class really opened the doors for a lot of exploration. Just it was really good. Exposed me to some things I just hadn't been exposed to. And Tommy Smith and I really jived. Like we just really got along really well. I think I was his TA at some point, if I remember correctly. But just we really got along and we stayed friends. Uh, you know, years afterwards because I kind of tracked with his same academic journey as well from Emmanuel to the University of Tennessee. So we had a lot of overlap and a lot of our interests. And and then Ron Wheeler, like, I, I feel like this could be said of so many. Ron Wheeler's the guy that introduced me to, to Dallas Willard, who becomes very in, important for me uh, some years later. Um, but Ron's, just Ron's mind, I, I just, it, I don't know, just this this expansive mind that just was inviting and challenging and just a huge blessing. So academically, it really set me up really well. And here's this one thing. So Doc Reese in one of his classes, it was one of his upper level classes, introduced us to some of the higher critical thinking as it relates to the Pentateuch and the JEPD. I, I, I'm not, I can't even get all the acronyms. J-E-P-D, maybe. I think those might be the acronyms. So this idea, this form criticism um, and source criticism of how the Pentateuch came together. And this is... 
this is rooted in late 19th century higher criticism. And so Doc exposed us to this. Well, when I get to a manual, I get hit with all this higher criticism, particularly from one professor in particular. And man, it really shook me, really shook my faith uh, in a lot of ways. And that's a whole nother thing. And But Johnson set me up academically for where I would go next, particularly when it came to theological and biblical studies. And, and that was my focus at Johnson. So it set me up for that. Now, let me tell you, I'll just let me insert this because although Tess isn't doing the interview, Tess did the five year plan where she got the master's degree after five years in teacher education. I think she was K through fourth. By way of our journey, she has worked in multiple school systems in multiple states and multiple big cities under multiple school administrations. And I would say uh, Tess has never felt under resourced or underprepared for her teaching career. Johnson's teacher ed program set the stage for Tess to succeed everywhere she went. She's been teacher of the year in two different schools she's been in. She's now the director of the EC department of our school district. Like, man, Johnson set her up academically. I'd put her up against anyone else that I've met in the field of education in different places I've been. So that's just to say something about that side of the equation. So I think Johnson set us up really well. But let me say something now about the jerk piece that I keep mentioning. So much of my growth as just a follower of Jesus is really working out of my flesh. Uh, And this is really the Holy Spirit doing this with with a lot of different counselors along the way, really working out of my flesh, a real drive to be the best, to be successful, really an unhealthy drive to be someone and let it make sure everybody knows that I'm someone. This seed of ambition that really blossomed into something that really was pretty ugly and it grew into a tree that had the fruit of manipulation and secrecy and narcissism. You know, not necessarily that everybody could see that. I don't even think I could. I saw all of it. I just knew, you know, that we came to a point in our marriage where we really came, we came to this moment where Tess, Tess was done. Tess was done living in the narcissism. And it grew. It grew over the years because at Emmanuel, I did really well. Um, now, I took a couple years off of Emmanuel and did mobile home bill collections while I was still mm-hmm. doing part-time youth ministry. And I was the janitor at the church at Gap Creek. So like a variety of things. But I went back to Emmanuel. I finished Emmanuel. I got a lot of awards at Emmanuel, a lot of awards. You know, I was praised by the professors. I got a lot of awards at Johnson. But then I went on to the University of Tennessee. It was doing my PhD in American history. And once I got into my, and I got a lot of awards there. I published in a peer-reviewed journal. I was going to be someone. I was working with national scholars. And when I got into my dissertation, we came to a point where, uh, and this, there's a variety of reasons for this, but the, the short story is we came to this point where if I was going to continue on this academic track into some type of tenure track position at, at some college or university, Either I was going to do that alone or I was going to leave it behind and keep my family. And by that time, we had two small boys and ultimately decided that this idol of education, of, you know, some type of upward mobility, being some smart academic, like that, that had to die. And it, and, and, and I did. And I gave up. I gave up the Ph.D. And so I'm, I'm one of those many across the country that it is all but dissertation. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't choose it. I wouldn't do it any other way. But that whole part at the end of the University of Tennessee was where we came to that point where we were on the brink of a divorce. And so God had to really change my heart. Uh, and honestly, I think the reason, and I've said this publicly, like it, if it wasn't for Gap Creek and what Gap Creek represented for us, 
Like I didn't want to go to Gap Creek on Sunday morning, but we had so many friendships. Like by that time I was at the University of Timothy, I thought I was better than everybody else. But like we had two small kids, we were going to church. Gap Creek saved my faith in so many ways. And you don't get Gap Creek without Johnson. <laughs> like mm. those two are very connected because of the people there. Now they were, I don't know what it is now, but I just like Johnson, Gap Creek, like they were so much a part of, of even when I was going wayward, I was moving very progressive. I was, um, th- th- these words can, I don't mean them pejoratively. Like, I mean, I was moving liberal, very liberal, very progressive. I knew more than the Bible. And that, that for me was, um, it, it about ruined me and about ruined my faith. But like, I kept going to church every Sunday <laughs> and mm. that was a really big deal for us. So yeah, so I can tell you what happens on the other side of that, of that transition, but you may have something you want to know in those years I just described, but I just kind of fast forwarded it. Hopefully that was okay. Yeah, that's, that's great. And actually I want you to go ahead and, and talk about what okay. happened on the other side of that. So tell you what, bring me from, from where you were there with UT and rough faith and choosing the family and all that stuff through your ministry journey to where you are now. Now I know that's a lot to ask you to yeah, do yeah. in we no, that's okay. Minutes. That's okay. Cause there's some, there's some big themes. Um, so Good. by the time I get, by the time we're in that transition, I know I'm going to go full-time vocational. And so I get connected back. I mean, Seth and I, Seth Bryant and I had stayed connected. So he was at Indian Creek Christian church up in Indianapolis. They had a position open. And so I applied and, and I got it and we moved up to Indianapolis. And part of what was going on there was kind of rebuilding this foundation of taking the scripture seriously and the Bible becoming something that gets down into ordinary life because it was such a heady thing. Theology had become such a heady thing for me, something out up in the clouds, really, uh, where I could talk sophisticated over here and then be a jerk at home. Like, and so I need, I was trying to rebuild this foundation. I had some people that came around me and Dallas Willard and C.S. Lewis became my, my dead mentors. And I just, I just ate nearly everything they wrote and really became their, their, their student. Um, and that was really important because these are really smart guys who take the scripture seriously, but they're really concerned about getting the Bible into ordinary life. And so that at Indian Creek at this big mega church, over 4,000 people, I start working as the discipleship minister. Eventually I put on the executive team shortly after arriving and, and I'm overseeing all of adult ministries. Part of that journey was learning, uh, making a lot of HR mistakes, like, like just not treating people right. Now I've gone back and apologized to these people. Th- what this is, is the megachurch can sometimes become more corporate than it be than it is family. This isn't to all megachurches. Like, I just think there's a tendency there. And so when someone needs to be moved out of their position, you sometimes do it more corporate-like than you do maybe more family-like. And sometimes you might need to do that. But I, I was really green behind the ears. And I didn't I didn't move people out of their positions appropriately um, in every in every instant. And so I had, a, had to cut my teeth on organizational leadership there. But I was teaching and, and preaching alongside Gary, along with some other people, and got to learn a lot from Gary Johnson, like took me under his wing in a lot of ways and learned a lot from him. Learned, a, I got to watch a guy who memorized scripture, who prayed scripture, and who cared about people. And so I came really passionate about making sure to remember people's names. And like I probably probably got half the church by the time I left. And it, that just became really important. And so Gary really, really had the small church pastor heart but he knew how to do the big church leadership. And so I really learned a lot from him and I really began to transform my own heart. Our marriage just blossomed. We went to counseling. We actually had 
we'll just fast forward this. We had two more kids along the way. So, so that was all part of like healing for us. And, you know, that's nearly 10 years ago at this point. And so a lot, a lot of healing in that process. Well, um, I learned a lot at the Creek, but Gary was leaving. He was transitioning and we had to make a decision. Were we going to go through that transition or was it time for me to go find a church? And we ultimately moved back towards the Southern region where we were back closer to grandparents. And I found there was a church in Raleigh, North Carolina. It was a, it was a very fast growing church. It was a church planting church. Think of it like a franchise. So it, they were semi-autonomous church campuses that came together. um, What we might think of like as a, it had a corporate dimension to it, what they called mission support. And, And I was at one local campus but I was also put on the board for that church. And then I was actually put on the directional team on the board. So I was kind of at the top with the founder and we were making lots of decisions. We were in the outreach magazine as one of the fastest growing churches in the country. And sadly, this leader, the founder, this leader was so ambitious. He didn't mind cutting corners and it, and, and, and he cut so many corners. He actually began to break the law. Uh, And, and I discovered, I discovered this and ultimately confronted him, blew the whistle um, was able to get that information into some of the other people's uh, hands. So if you if you listen to the Mars Hill podcast with Mark Driscoll, it was a Mark Driscoll like thing. Just this guy wasn't a chauvinist like Mark Driscoll, but a lot of unethical behavior, very ambitious, uh, very ambitious, and so ultimately had to leave that church. And I actually was done with the church at this point. And I said, I'm done. I'm done with ministry. Like this was a really tough. This, this was a tough experience for us. There was a lot of hurt and pain, a lot of pain for our family. A lot of reasons behind this too, but ultimately, uh, I was going to go corporate, just make a lot of money, and we just find a church and we'll we'll be done, you know. But decide if I was going to go back into ministry, I was going to go to a small church. We weren't going to sell a brand. We weren't going to be all about church growth, church church growth, and we were just gonna. It was going to be an opportunity to teach the scriptures and love on the people that God gives us. And lo and behold, we found this little church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina. And that's where that's where we are. We've been here for over three years, went through COVID together. Um, we're a church of probably 140, 150. We've grown in our time here, but that's fine. You know, we meet our budget. They give me a livable wage. Tess is doing great in the school system. Uh, we got a nice house. It's a very slow standard of uh, a cost of living. Like I'll take this cost of living any day of the week. I'll take the traffic in a small city any day of the week. And it's given me an opportunity to also tap into that passion that I have for working with the community, um, working with non-believers. So just a rundown of the things I get to do. So I'm the chairman of our hospitals directors council. So our hospital is part of a bigger system, but we have a, a local board that has semi-autonomy. Again, it's part of a local, a larger, but I'm the chairman of that board. And that's, that's a significant position that I get to sit in and get to help do good. I'm the chaplain of our city fire department. I have, um, 30 some, uh, full-time employees, and so I get to do that as the chaplain. And so that's really a cool gig. And then I'm on the housing authority board. Um, I'm on the chamber of commerce board. And I get to just be out and about in the community. One of the funeral homes uses me when a, a family doesn't have a pastor. So I get to do a lot of funerals, but I get to meet a lot of different kinds of people. And really, I get to teach the scriptures every Sunday. And, and I'm just a fan of teaching through books of the Bible. Now, every once in a while, we'll do a topic. So we did justice. You know, we took we took on justice last summer. Uh, I just had something very specific to say about LGBTQ plus Pride Month this month. But in general, we just work through books of the Bible. The superintendent of our school system is going to our church. Like, it's just really a cool, it's a cool (laughs) opportunity to bless our community 
And it's a sweet spot. We're never going to be a mega church. I'm never going to be famous. No one's going to know I'm smart. And that's exactly what my heart needs. And that's what our family needs. And so we've kind of settled in to do, do the good we can do on this little plot of land God's given us. And that's kind of, that's kind of where we've landed. And in some ways I've kind of returned to the humility, not saying I am necessarily humble yet. God's got a lot of work to do on me. Tess, make sure that I never forget this. Um, <laughs> so many other people do like kids do kids will, kids are like a mirror to you all the time. Yeah. But like, to that, to the spirit of a Bob Martin or a Doc Reese, who weren't about trying to be somebody, and Johnson kind of laid the groundwork for that for me. Phil Zook, Ron Williams, they laid the groundwork for that. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't mention this, Tyson. We've gone this whole conversation without mentioning you. You came back from the mission field to Gap Creek shortly after I arrived at Gap myself. And so I got to watch how you loved on your family, how you healed from a very, very difficult experience uh, where you were at. And I got to watch you not try to be, you know, famous or go and, you know, be the most ambition, you know, be some person of great ambition. I got to watch you just settle in and make sure to take care of your family. And that's not that that's not that has never been lost on me, uh, particularly as I see your kids on Facebook. Everyone saw the ones that are grown. I'm like, man, so that's. That's what it means to just settle in to where God brought you back, get a job and take care of your family. So like you're part of my story too, but I leave that to right here at the end. <laughs> well, thank you for that. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we've got to close up because I know we've, we've yeah. both got other things we got to get to, but let me do one yeah. more thing for you. I've been doing this with all of our podcast okay. guests. You've shared with me a lot of what you've learned in your journey and the work God's still doing on you. Pretend, if you will, that for the next 60 seconds, you are going to address everybody in the world. So the entire world is going to hear what Jason Yates has to say in the next 60 seconds. I'm going to do a commercial while you think about your answer, but what is the message you would give to the world in 60 seconds? So while you think about your answer, let okay. me remind our listeners that the Sojournal Podcast is a production of the Alumni Relations Office at Johnson University and has been brought to you by the Alumni Association. Whether you graduated from Central Florida Bible College, Johnson Bible College, Florida Christian College, or Johnson University, you are a part of the alumni family. Join the Alumni Association and help encourage and equip alumni and students as they pursue kingdom-focused vocations. Learn more at johnsonu.edu forward slash alumni. So Jason Yates, a 2004 graduate of Johnson University in Knoxville, Tennessee, gone on to the master's work at Emanuel and on to all but dissertation doctoral work with the University of Tennessee, uh, experienced in ministry, in life, in a variety of ways. Uh, I've really appreciated you being my guest today. What one-minute message would you give to the world? Well, I, I think I would just tell them that the Bible is actually knowledge about reality, and Jesus is the way, the truth and a life. That's all I'd say. Good. Perfect. Love it. Thank you so much for all of that, all of that knowledge that you dropped on us today. And I really appreciate you being my guest today on the Sojourner Podcast. Uh, thanks for having me, Tyson. The Sojourner Podcast is a production of the Alumni Relations Office at Johnson University. 
edited by Sam Cunningham, podcast graphics by Rachel Woolard, music by Loyal Love. Tune in to other Sojourner podcasts dropping each Monday on Anchor FM, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Thanks for listening.